in Philippians chapter 2, we read the purpose, and you know this, and I'm not telling you anything new, but sometimes we need to be reminded, I need to be reminded, of what God's Word says. Because it's entirely possible for us to get caught up with hallmark cards and and everything else that's like that pertaining to this time of year. And you've noticed, I'm sure you've noticed, I have noticed that everything is getting weaker and weaker and weaker about Christ. Everything. Uh, I enjoy some Christmas music this time of year, and I used to listen to certain stations that played Christmas music uh, uh, continually, let's say, when I would work in my shop or work at home. And uh, I've noticed that they've gotten farther and farther away from the songs pertaining to Christ and closer and closer to worldliness and everything that goes with that flesh, really. So we want to look at Philippians 2. Look at verse 5, just for a moment, verse 5. Verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This is the, uh, the mind of Christ, now the mind of God, who being in the form, morphe, his outer out of uh, his inner essence, rather, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men, the incarnation. Verse 8, and being found in fashion of, as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So the purpose of the incarnation was the cross. It always was the cross. It always was death where he would die in our place for for our sin. And through the Spirit of God, we have spiritual wisdom. We have spiritual understanding. We can understand what God's Word says. That's the miracle of the new birth. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Spirit of God giving us that enlightenment. He has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Everything you need to know to live in this world is given to us by God, according to 2 Peter 1.3. There are, however, some things that we will not know until. There are some things we will not know until we go into the very presence of God to hear them. I'll give you an example of that. Um, in 1 John, you don't need to turn there, chapter 3. Uh, brethren, it does not yet... We do not know yet what what we shall be like, but when we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That's the glorified body. Now, we also read in the scriptures about the second coming of Christ. We know he's going to return, but when is he going to return? We do not know that. Only the Father knows that, the scriptures tell us. So there are some things in the scriptures that are missing that we really don't need necessarily. God said, I've given you everything you need. We will reveal unto you in your day a time when uh, you'll need to know. Now, one of the many things that we do not know is the date of the birth of Christ. That's one of the many things we do not know. Uh, We celebrate uh, this event on December 25th. Now, the date, however, falls under great speculation, great speculation as far as the scriptures are concerned. The date most likely is a result of a combined pagan festival. That's why it's called Christ's Mass. Almost, if, if there's any other date, it probably wasn't December. One of the one of the leading aspects of that is the angels in Bethlehem 
the shepherds watching over the fields by night. That usually was in springtime when they were preparing the Passover lambs, getting everything ready for that. So if any time of the year, probably wasn't December, but it's not wrong necessarily to celebrate the incarnation now. It's not a sin, but just realize that right from the beginning, everything that pertaining to the incarnation of Christ that the world sees starts off with crooked legs, doesn't it? Everything, we're kind of limping along, trying to come up with something about the incarnation that will be suitable for people. Now, why in the world would God not give us this important date? Why wouldn't he do that? Why wouldn't he give us the important date of the second coming of Christ? Well, I, I think it's this, because the date is far less important than the event itself. The date is far less important. The event is what's important. And God tells us, he told Israel, get ready for the event. He tells us, get ready for the uh, event, for the second coming Christ. The Old Testament prophets would have get ready for the event of the first coming of Messiah. And we are to get ready for the event of the second coming of Messiah. Don't, uh, I, <clears throat> years ago there were tracks and I read a track and it went something like this in my mind's slipping worse than ever, but uh, it went something like, if Jesus was to come into your house today, what would you change? You know what the answer is? Almost everything. Almost everything. So that's probably why we're not given the date. We're given the event so we prepare our hearts and minds for the date. And so what we want to look at just for a moment is the event itself and not necessarily the date. Head with me, please, if you would, to uh, Galatians chapter 4. Now, we know the Lord Jesus Christ will return to earth, and though we do not know the absolute time, we know the relative time. There are certain events that are taking place in world history today that we know that the, the, the time of Christ draws near draws near. It may not be for another thousand years, it may not be for another hundred years, but we know he's coming very soon, the scriptures tell us. And so we recognize there are certain dates out there in which God himself, only God, has given us that we, um, only God himself has in his mind that that event will take place when he's ready. And we see that in Galatians chapter 4, you know uh, this very well, please. But Galatians 4, look at verse 4. But when the fullness of time was come. What fullness? What's that all about? Well, we'll look at that in just a moment. But recognize, God had a procedure. God had a plan. And though men knew the procedure, they didn't necessarily know the plan. God brought forth, notice. God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them, who were under the law, that we might receive the uh, adoptions of sons, the full sonship placing. God had a plan, and God's plan was being unfolded, was being fulfilled. Now, what about that plan? Well, at the risk of boring you, please just listen for a moment. Uh, God's prophecy plan included some very, very uh, unique aspects You'd need to know it to go all the way back into the book of Daniel. And I won't have you turn there, but in, in Daniel chapter 2, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, who overcame the, the, uh, the uh, Israel, 
and brought them into captivity, Nebuchadnezzar was given a sign by God. God gave him this. He saw a giant image, an image of a statue of a man. His head was of gold, chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of brass, and legs of iron, and then feet of iron and clay. And as you run through the book of Daniel, a marvelous, masterful book, a wonderful book, uh, I I delight in it, but as you run through that, you see that uh, God had these to be kingdoms. These different elements of metal represented kingdoms. And the first kingdom was a Babylonian kingdom. You can see that in the book of Daniel chapter 2. The head of gold, Babylon. But what we know is they were world-dominating kingdoms, world empires. And there were only four of them, never to be repeated, never to be repeated. So the first one was the head of gold, Babylon. After that, the media Persian Empire took over the, the arms and, and uh, chest and arms of, of silver. That was taken over by the Median Persian Empire. Now, this not only is biblical, which is more important than us than anything, but it's also historical. The whole world knows about this. And so God said the kingdoms would come. These world-dominating Gentile empires would come. So the Median Persian Empire passes off. Now you have a belly and thighs of brass or bronze. That was the Grecian Empire that dominated the media Persian Empire. World Empire ran the whole world in their day. And following that would be the last empire, uh, Gentile Empire, to rule the known world, to rule the whole world, and that would be Rome, the legs of iron. And so that's where our story begins. It begins with the last Gentile Empire to run the whole world, and that's Rome. Well, how do we know that? Well, in the book of Luke, we read about it. And what do we read? Well, we just simply read this. Caesar Augustus called for the whole world to be taxed, and the whole world had to be taxed. Why? Because Rome dominated the whole world. Now, there's only uh, Babylon, there's uh, Media Persia, there's Greece, there's Rome, and there's no other empire to rule the world until Antichrist, and that in the statue, that's the feet of iron and clay. He he, he, he tries to dominate the world, but he's crushed, and that will be in the end days, of course. But though these Gentile uh, empires ran the whole world, the world has never been dominated by another world, another empire. You say, well, how about the United States? We were something. Yeah, but take a look at us now. We neither rule nor dominate anything. Why? Because God said there would only be four kingdoms, and that would be it. So we recognize now, under Roman, under Roman, uh, the Roman Empire, comes the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. He came at the right place, at the right time. Why? Because God had prophesied that it would happen. There are a couple of other things that needed to take place, of course. And uh, as we read about it, we realize that uh, Messiah needed to be a descendant of Abraham. In Matthew chapter 1, the book of genealogy, in Luke chapter 3, the books of genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, we, we read that uh, the Lord Jesus Christ was a son of Abraham through Joseph. Through Joseph. We also read that from Joseph to Adam, through Mary, the lineage of Mary, that, that as well uh, was part of his heritage. Uh, 
He must come from the tribe of Judah. Revelation 5.5 tells us he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He came through the the tribe of Judah. We see that also in Mary's uh, uh, lineage. He must come, notice, he must be an heir of the throne of David. Isaiah 9.7 says that. He's got to be. And yet we read about that, don't we? In Romans 3.3, Jesus Christ our Lord who was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. Also in Luke chapter 3. He must be born in Bethlehem, Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. The Lord Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem of Judea. He must be born of a virgin, Isaiah 7, 14. In Luke chapter 1, we read that Mary was in fact a virgin. So all this must come to pass. It all had to come to pass, and guess what? It all did come to pass, every bit of it. So right now, we are under the last Gentile power, or were under the last Gentile power, and that was Rome. And now the world sits idle now. For a couple of thousand years, the world has sat idle with no reigning Gentile empire because God said that wouldn't be. Having said that now, I'd like to go and look at the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ just to kind of set our feet on a rock. I mean, the penguins of cute, you know, the, the reindeer and the candy canes and all that stuff. But it has absolutely nothing nothing to do with the incarnation of Christ. We have a tree in our house. We, we give out presents. We do stuff like that. We enjoy this time of year, getting together with family and friends. We, we enjoy it, but realize, realize it has nothing to do with the incarnation of Christ. It's, it's okay. I especially like getting presents. I don't like giving them out as much. <laughs> but I like to get them. Big ones. Big presents. Okay, let's go on now. Head with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, please. Let's talk, just for the few minutes we have remaining, on this wonderful, wonderful event. Namely, the Lord Jesus Christ and his incarnation. Who he is and his purposes. We're in Luke chapter 1. Now, the term used in verse 26, the sixth month uh, in, in uh, verse 26 of Luke chapter 1, in the sixth month, the angel, now this was the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, six months. Remember the angel appeared to Zacharias about John, the forerunner of Christ coming, all that. God's putting all the pieces together now for the incarnation of Christ. And what happened? Well, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth. Gabriel is an interesting... He was, he was probably and most likely named in one place at least part of Daniel's prophecies. He also appeared unto Zecharias. He was, he was probably an archangel, much like Michael. Gabriel seemed to be the spokesman for God. Michael is the power of God for the nation of Israel. But they're probably both archangels, which I wouldn't die for, but probably so. Now, notice what happens in verse 27. Gabriel came to Nazareth. We know that plays an important part. To a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, let let us just for a moment, please, if we could do this, biblically speaking, not emotionally speaking, or characterizing anything, but um, uh, biblically 
biblically speaking, uh, people give Mary less esteem than she deserves. And, and they also uh, uh, make her a villain. Uh, some Christian groups make her a villain. And the reason is because they don't want her getting high esteem. High esteem. But there's a couple things about Mary we need to understand. First of all, in verse 28, she was a woman that was blessed among women. She was not above women, but among women. She was blessed. Why? She was going to carry the seed of Messiah. We see that in verse, 20, uh, verse 28. And the angel came unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. Uh, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Highly favored. She must have been a woman who walked with God. So let's say she was a woman that walked with God. She was blessed among women. Uh, She was a woman of great submission to God's will and God's word. Verse 38, Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. And then we won't go there, but Elizabeth said, You are the mother of my Lord and God. So let's not throw Mary under the bus, right? I mean, uh, there are groups out there that have her as a deity, and I I understand how erroneous that is. She wasn't deity, she was just flesh. But God chose to use her, which was a wonderful thing. So let's be careful how we uh, deal with our sister Mary. Now, I want us to recognize, um, um, beginning in verse 30 now, please. Verse 30. And the angel said unto her, Fear not. Now, this is so interesting, because... When we go back to Luke chapter 1, in the beginning, the angel speaks to Zechariah. God has not spoken to his people Israel in 400 years. God has not spoken to his people Israel in 400 years, he now speaks. And no matter when God speaks, he has something to say. But especially now. Why? It's, It's beginning. It's beginning. The incarnation of the great Savior is coming. There's no mention of Santa Clauses and reindeers and Christmas trees. There's no mention of that. And people fruitlessly try to build those things up. I heard one guy one time, and it's laughable. If he wasn't a relative of mine, I would have laughed out loud. But he said, you know, the Christmas tree to me represents Christ. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Why, sir? Well, because it's an evergreen, ever, ever, represents everlasting life, and it was cut off. Well, that's the best explanation I've heard. None of it makes sense, but it's the best explanation I've heard about a Christmas tree. It's it's all fabricated by men, you see. None of that is mentioned. The only mention of green trees in the scriptures is where the pagans used to go and worship in Jeremiah. It had nothing to do with Christmas. Again, there's nothing wrong. We just had to buy another tree this year. Well, it's a long story, but we, we had to get another artificial tree. We went into the store... 300 bucks for some of these artificial trees. I said to Dennis, can't we get some sticks and kind of drill and glue them together and do this? Or maybe go to someone's house and cut down their tree or something like this? What, can't we do something? But, you know, there's nothing wrong with the tree. But understand, it's become the worship of people. It's become symbolic of Christ. And it has nothing to do with Christ. Nothing at all. No, again... Again, these are fluffy things, but we as Christians want to realize what's the real impact, what's the real focus. It's the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
It's not the stuff. And I think some parents, <clears throat> and I was among them, <clears throat> we struggle to keep our kids focused on that because of what the world has done to it. We struggle to do that. You say, well, we don't teach that in our home, but no, everyone else they deal with has that. And so it's really a struggle. That's why we have to be more fixed than ever upon the person of Christ. Why? Because the world is getting worse and worse and worse concerning these things. So what happened? The angel speaks 400 years of silence. God says, it's time for Messiah. And what about this Messiah? Well, look, if you would, please, <clears throat> in, uh, again in verse 30. And the, angel said, uh, and the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. Now that is significant. The word Jesus is a transliteration from the Hebrew word Joshua. And the Hebrew word Joshua is Jehovah is salvation. The other term for it is Jehovah is the Savior. And the, the Lord Jesus Christ, upon his incarnation, was given that, not only that title, but that name. That name. And there are many uh, Jesuses, there was many Joshuas in the Bible, but specifically, he was the Savior. Jehovah, Jesus, is the Savior. And we read that by looking further in the scriptures, if you would, please. Head with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. In verse 18, Matthew 1, 18. <clears throat> this includes the virgin birth. God, God set all this in motion, of course, putting all the pieces together. And when Messiah returns, by the way, there all the pieces are going to fit together. And we can see that historically, we can see it biblically, and we can see it experientially. The pieces are fitting together for, for the second coming of the Savior. In verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was in this way. When his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, before there were any intimacies, uh, she was, uh, a, it was a virgin birth, a supernatural birth, and we'll see that in just a moment. Uh, they were found with child. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, justified, born-again believer, Joseph. We read almost nothing about him. We have, we have so little information about this man. It's just incredible. We don't know when he was born. We know where he was born, Nazareth. But we don't know when he was born, and we don't know when he died. He leaves the pages of Scripture without any evidence of that. He was a just man, justified, a born-again believer, um, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. He was going to send her away somewhere. Why? Because he was concerned that poor Mary would suffer irreputable harm, so he was going to send her away somewhere. But while he thought on these things, behold, an angel, and probably Gabriel, an angel of the Lord, appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, Joshua, Savior, and he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall, um, 
shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. So not only was his name Joshua, he was the Joshua. Not only was his name Jesus, he was the Savior. And he was God with us. It's interesting because the, the, the title there really is a, is a description of the person. A description of the person. It's a characterization of the person. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That's his characterization. That's who he was, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what, what is it? Emmanuel, which is being interpreted God with us. God with us. When we look at all that surrounds us, all that surrounds us, it's so interesting. For example, uh, we have a crush scene. You have a crush scene? Um, a lot of people have a crush scene, which is a, it's a barn type thing, and Mary and Joseph and the three wise men in there, you, you know about that. You, we have that. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? None of it's true. First of all, the wise men didn't show up for about a year. We have them in there right on time, don't we? Uh, it wasn't a bond, it was actually a cave that the Lord Jesus was born in. You see, but when I see that crush scene, when we go for a walk, there's even a blow-up crush scene. We've relegated Jesus to a, a rubber doll blown up with air. But that's what it is today. Why? Because we have, we have lessened. We have lessened. Listen, he's the Savior. Don't lessen that. Don't lessen that. You say, well, the whole world, listen, you are called out of the world. You're called out of the world. Now, that doesn't mean we need to go stick in pinholes and all these blow-up things. I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not saying that at all. That's what they do. Why? Because they do not know. They do not know. So it's our job to ring what's true, what's true. Oh, please forgive me if you have a blow-up thing in your yard. <laughs> Just thought of that. What did you do with your big mouth again, Bill? <laughs> He's God with us. He, he, the pieces will fit together. And the reason for the pieces will fit together because God's plan is coming together. God's plan is coming together to send Messiah. Head back with me, if you would, please, to Luke chapter 1 again. All the way back to Luke chapter 1. Emmanuel, God with us. The characterization, his deity, his position... In the Godhead as God, fully God, co-equal, co-existent with the Father, Son, and the, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, head with me, please, to Luke chapter 1 and verse 32. This is future tense. And he shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. This is so, this is so wonderful. Recognize that he would be uh, the living God there in, in Bethlehem. And then later, of course, moved back to Nazareth, where he stayed for 30 years until he began his ministry. 30 years he stayed until he began his ministry. Why? Under law. Remember, he was born under the law. Under law, a priest could not, a teacher could not get started until age 30. So we read, you could see that in Luke chapter 3, verses 21 through 23, but recognize that uh, he had to wait until 
30 years of age where he stayed in Nazareth. But it's interesting, I want you to note his, uh, his position in verse 32. And he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And we recognize that uh, he had to be an heir to David's throne, according to Isaiah 9, of course. And he shall be called the son of the highest. That's his position, the son of God. He's called the son of the highest. Keep your hand here and head back with me to Matthew chapter 16 for a moment. Matthew chapter 16. It wasn't until later, later in the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ that his disciples began to get this. Up to this point, they really didn't get it completely. And we're in Matthew chapter 16. Uh, look at verse 13 just for a moment, please. Matthew 16, 13. He's in the very northern part of the land of Israel. And uh, this is uh, Caesarea Philippi, named after Caesar, uh, in, uh, the, uh, Caesar Philip, or Caesar, and Philip himself, which was one of the dictators under Caesar in, the northern, in northern Israel. But he's in Caesarea Philippi, again, in the northern part of the city. It's a pagan place. It's filled with pagan stuff. To this day, you can head up to the north. It's, it's where, really, the Jordan River begins up in the mountains and comes down through Caesarea Philippi and then goes down into the rest of the, uh, the land of Israel. But it, it's, uh, it's an incredible, incredible pagan place in all kinds of deity. The, 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 the god Pan was there. Pan, pun, uh, half man, half, uh, half uh, horse or donkey, whatever it was. <laughs> Most likely donkey, right? But half. And it was a pagan worship. Benjamin and, um, I'm going to get this wrong, so I'm not even going to say it, but that's where a couple of the tribes went up. And the reason they went up there is because uh, they, they were kicked out of the land by the um, by the pagans that were in the land. They could not conquer. They should have been able to. Joshua said, you will be able to, but they chose to run to the north, and they fell into paganism, and we know that they began, tribes of Israel began to sacrifice their own children in the north. It's incredible. Well, anyway, I'm getting far away from that. But I want you to see, they're up in that area, in verse 13, and Jesus came unto the borders of Caesarea Philippi, and he said unto uh, he asked his disciples, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now, that's a question, right? That's a question that you and I can ask any unregenerated person today. Who do you believe Jesus Christ is? Oh, good man. He was a good man. He was a prophet. He was a prophet. People say that. Even the worst of the pagan religions say he was some kind of prophet. So there's all kinds of thoughts about the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't there? All kinds of thoughts. Who do men say that I am? And they said, the disciples, and some say that you're John the Baptist, uh, come from the dead, essentially. Some, some say that you're Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he said unto them, but who do you say that I am? And that's a question for us, isn't it? It's a question for every one of us. What do you think about the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you worship him in spirit and in truth? Does his word mean more to you than your necessary food? 
Do you see him as king of kings and lord of lords? Do you see him as sovereign in your life? Does he mean more to you and you're fixed upon his word? If not, we have lost some of that, haven't we? It's interesting, in the book of the Revelation, God's talking to the church at Ephesus, and he says, I have somewhat against you because you have left your first love. Oh, they were still active. They were still busy. They still came to church. (laughs) But they had left their first love. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered. This is the apostle with the foot-shaped mouth, right? Simon Peter said unto them, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's who he is. Can I repeat this, please? It's not the Grinch. One yard we went by has a big giant dinosaur with a Christmas cap on it. It's not a dinosaur. It's not a robot. It's not Santa Claus. It's the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. So this time of year, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying, well, what am I going to do? You know, I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is you recognize what's going on. You've seen it. You, you know that. But let's get our focus right again. Let's, let's kind of readjust our binoculars. Let's look at what God says about the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. And what's going to happen? He's going to give unto him the throne of his father, David. It's fulfilled, of course. David received prophecy from God that his son would sit on the throne forever. Not Solomon. Not Solomon. But the generational son, which is the son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, through his genealogy. Now, of course, we read here, he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. What does that have to do with it? It has to do with the tribe, 12 tribes of Israel. He was promised to the Jews. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. He was promised to the Jews as their coming Messiah, the, the long-awaited one. And they rejected him. What happened is now God's salvation plan is for everyone always. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So the plan is there. It's for for everyone. What a wonderful, wonderful concept. Now go back with me to Luke chapter 1 again, if you would, please. Luke chapter 1. And i got to start wrapping up here. But but Luke chapter 1. He shall reign over the house of Jacob. Jacob and his 12 sons, the the nation of Israel. You can read that in Obadiah uh, verse 17, Mount Zion shall be deliverance and, the, and there shall be holiness and those of Jacob and the house of Jacob shall possess their positions. So Jake, in the end days, God's going to regather the tribes of Israel into the, the promised land. Now they're scattered abroad all over the world. And no one knows exactly from what tribe they are, who they are. That was all destroyed, um, of course, in 70 A.D., but, but God's going to bring it all back together supernaturally, miraculously. And, and Zion, that is the city of Zion, Jerusalem itself will be the capital of worship when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. What wonderful, wonderful thoughts. And notice uh, in verse 34, in Luke chapter 1, look at verse 34 for a moment. 
Uh, back up to 30, 33 for a moment. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. You see, all the Gentile kingdoms are gone. Does Rome run the world? Not anymore. Well, we'll back up. How about uh, the Media Persian Empire? How about the Grecian Empire? Although they had their influence in the world and its system, they no longer rule the world. Why? Because they're given a limited amount of time, God said. And every nation of the world that has ever been part of a, a giant empire, think of France under Napoleon. He wanted to be a world leader. Mussolini. Think of them. Hitler. Think of all the people of the world that wanted to rule the whole world. And what God said, no. No. And even those world-dominating leaders, they were cut off at a time. Why? Because God said, the world's going to come to my son. And of his kingdom, there shall be no end. Future tense, when he sets up his kingdom on earth, it will be a kingdom forever. And so the question for all of us is, will you be there? Will I do my best? I try my hardest? No, my friend, that's not good enough. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, for what reason? To die for your sin. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's why we must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever, that's everyone in this room, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The question comes in, though, whosoever will, will, but whosoever won't, won't. Some reject. Some reject. And God keeps his word, the scriptures tell us. God keeps his word. And those people who reject the living God will end up in a place called the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone forever and ever. So we realize through the word of God that of his kingdom there'll be no end. You and I, when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, we will dwell with him in the house of God forever. That no matter where he is, we'll be with him because that's the promise of God. That's the promise of God. Now notice in verse 34. Verse 34, please. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? See, Mary knew what would happen, but she did not know how it would happen. She knew what was going to happen. The angel said, You're going to be with child. But she has no idea how can all this happen. And the scriptures tell us it's because it's a miraculous thing. And the angel said unto her, notice in verse 35, the angel said unto her, in verse 35, the Holy Spirit shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which, is, uh, which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. The event would be a supernatural event. The event would be God doing something miraculous. Now, this had nothing to do with what we know to be the intimacies of childbirth today. Nothing to do with that. This supernatural event would be God giving life to this woman in her womb, the Son of God it's himself. 
It's interesting, uh, notice, he would be there without a sinful nature. I don't know exactly how all this flushes out. This is very difficult, of course. But he would be there without a sinful nature. And we know this. Peter tells us he had no sin. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. He did no sin, Peter tells us. 1 John 3, 5, he had no sin. And you know that he was manifest to take away our sins. And in him is no sin. Talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee, and the blessed Holy Spirit pre- 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 prepared for him a body. He, we read that in, for example, the book of Hebrews, chapter 10 and verse 5. When he came unto the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings thou dost not desire, but a body hast thou prepared for me. Supernatural event. God did it. I, I'm talked one time to a, a, a Jewish man um, about the Lord Jesus Christ. I worked with him, and I was talking to him about the Lord Jesus Christ. Was, I was excited to be able to talk to him. He said, you know, I can buy everything. I can buy everything, he said, except a virgin birth. Come on, Bill. I said, well, you can, you can buy God speaking the world into existence by his mouth, and you can't <laughs> buy a virgin birth. Man, are you short-sighted. Well, I had good chance to witness to him about the Lord. I don't know if he ever got saved, but recognize that the world has a hard time with that. Why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, and it was the Spirit of God who did it. For example, in the Psalms 104, thou didst send forth thy spirit, and they are created. That's the creation of the world. God just simply spoke it all into existence. In Job 33 and verse 4, the Spirit of God hath made me, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. That's all by faith, isn't it? I've never seen the Lord Jesus Christ. I've never, I've never um, witnessed any of the biblical events that we, uh, we know to be true today, but I believe them by faith. Why? Faith is the assurance of things expected for. It's the evidence or the conviction of things not seen. So God said it was a virgin birth. The Spirit of God tells us what he was able to do in creation, and I simply believe it all. So Mary, she, she just, can you imagine being Mary, ladies? <laughs> can, you, can you imagine being Joseph? He was a spouse of this woman. She's with child. An angel tells him this is a, a virgin birth. His name will be called the Son of God. Just put yourself in that place. You think you have problems. Think about it. What an incredible, incredible uh, event. Notice, if you would, please, continue on with me just for a moment. Just for a moment. And Mary, in verse uh, 38, And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me, According to thy word. What a great, great submission by Mary. Be it according to thy word. Now, we weren't there. We read about it. We believe God's word is true. Even that is a miraculous, miraculous work of God. We believe God's word is true. But we see God bringing all of the aspects, all the pieces together, all the pieces together for the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he came to die for the sins of the whole world. 
That's why God did it. We don't know the date, the time, rather. We don't know the time. We, we don't know the place, necessarily. We don't know what month, day of the month. We, we don't know any of that, but God has said that that was his plan. We do not know when the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return. It could be today. It's an any minute, any moment. All the characters are on the stage, are they not? Evil men seduces getting worse and worse. Ungodly men running nations. Wicked men dealing, uh, oppressing people. We, we know that all this is in place. God said it would happen. Now, it's been happening for generations, but it's getting worse and worse and worse, we know, from the Scriptures. So the time is at hand. We don't know when. It's according to God's plan. But we know this. It's not too late yet to believe. The purpose of the incarnation was Christ came to die for sinners, of whom I am chief, Paul said. And I'm right up there with Paul. I wouldn't want to argue with him about it, but I'm pretty close. And I have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior because God said he's going to return one day to judge the living and the dead. He's got a purpose, and he's got a plan, and it's coming, it's coming. There's other characters we won't look into. You can look, read them from the scriptures, please. Caesar Augustus calls for a tax of the whole world. Joseph responds to that. Then after the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, the angel of the Lord appears to shepherds abiding in the field by night, keeping watch over their flocks. A multitude of the heavenly host praising God. You know the stories, and they're wonderful stories, to be sure, but the point of the stories is he was coming. The point of the stories is he was coming. And men try to fabricate, make us feel fluffy and everything, so we'll buy some of these objects. I'm sure a lot of it is that. But we know the real reason for the season. And folks, if we don't hold the ground, who's going to? Let's pray. Father, your word is a sharp sword. I am convicted daily about what you say through your word. And I recognize, Father, I realize there may be someone in this room that does not know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, and yet they celebrate Christmas. We know, Father, the reason for the season is the Lord Jesus Christ himself, that he would die for the sins of the whole world, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I pray, Father, this would be the, a new season for someone in this room, perhaps, that they would believe the truth about Christmas, not the sleighs or the reindeer or Santa Claus or anything else, but we would see joy in their eyes and not the joy of a child that, um, that enjoys this time of year, but the joy of an adult who sees the truth of the Word of God. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for each person here this day. I know, Lord, it's early in the Christmas season to look at these things, and yet, and yet, Father, they're more relevant than ever for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.